0: We begin again with the Postal Service. It's wasted no time using its latest rate setting authority. This time, USPS aims to jack up the price of a first class postage stamp at the end of the summer to 58 cents, up 3 cents. But that's just one step in its 10 year strategy to reach firm financial footing. It's lost money for 15 years now. It's also moving ahead with a reduction in force that impacts agency management. For the latest, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And Jory, let's begin with the reduction in force. This has been on the books for a while. What's uh, what's the latest here?
1: Yeah, we've known this has been in the works for some time now, and we are finally seeing that move forward here. Affected employees were notified last Friday about their status and if they were affected by this riff, and they were given a couple options based on who they are and where their future lies with the agency. It's a slightly later timeline than what we had expected based on a memo that we had obtained, an internal memo from the Postal Service Management. And of course, when we hear about riffs, our minds often wander to layoffs and they're often a one-to-one, but it's a very complicated situation with this particular riff. in that, yes, there will be some layoffs, but there's also going to be some reassignments here that think of it as a reduction in positions rather than a reduction in people overall. And as part of this, the Postal Service is lifting a hiring freeze that has been in place for nearly a year. And to get some focus on this, I did speak with the president of the National Association of Postal Supervisors, Brian Wagner, and he said that some of his members were Fielding calls and saying that they were directly reassigned to new positions within the agency. These are positions that these employees are minimally qualified for, and they may not be things that they want to be reassigned to. In that case, they have the ability to apply for a different job within USPS management, but hey, there's no guarantees there. You know, Wagner framed it as saying that there are these landing spots within the agency that Rift employees can apply to. He said there are about 4,500 vacant positions right now, and those are going to actually go up. There's going to be more positions that employees can apply to. But Dan, well, is it
0: going to save money? Is it going to get rid of people or is it going to have the same number of people if they choose to take the new job?
1: The real driver here is that the Postal Service is consolidating some of its area and field offices. And so it's fewer offices and, and overall fewer people.
0: All right. And let's talk about prices because that first class stamp is going out. And by the way, later in this hour, we will be hearing from Art Sackler, who is a lawyer representing a lot of the postal user business organizations. But tell us what other pricing activity is going on now, Jory.
1: So for folks looking to stock up on stamps, they have until August 29th to do so. That is when this planned price increase would take effect. And like you said, it will be going up to 58 cents compared to the current 55 cent rate. And what's interesting here is this is based on authority the Postal Service got from its regulator, the Postal Regulatory Commission, back last November, they basically maxed out the authority that they were given to set these rates. There was some question of whether they were going to parcel out these rate increases over time based on their financial situation or do what they did, which is to max out that authority. And we're talking about the stamp price, of course, but we're going to see price increases go across the Postal Service's mail products writ large. This is not just the postal stamp we're talking about here. And what's interesting is that this is not the only price increase that we've seen in recent memory. In January 2019, the Postal Service raised the rate to 55 cents up from $0.50, and that was the largest single price increase in the agency's history. So a lot of complaints that we're seeing multiple price increases over a pretty short period of time.
0: Yes. Well, my answer to that is, if people don't like it, if you want to send a piece of paper to California from New York, see if UPS will do it for $0.58, or FedEx, see if they'll do it for $0.58.
1: In that situation, it's something that is a unique service from the the USPS.
0: (laughs) All right. And of course, the Postal Service is justifying these rates because it needs the revenue.
1: That's pretty straightforward. And we heard as much from Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. He was quick to point out that even with the rate increase in effect here, that the USPS is still a bargain when you look at other, you know, Western democracies that and their postal services, that they charge higher rates than what the postal service does. And he also said that For a while, the Postal Service was really locked into a strict cap on its prices, could only really raise prices based on keeping up with inflation. And so he said that this price increase is essentially making up for lost time, that they are now trying to stay ahead of its costs and and keep up with those costs by keeping these prices higher.
0: And what are we hearing from some of the customer bases?
1: Well, to you or me, you know, three cents for every stamp is not going to break the bank. But when you scale that up and you look at people who are commercial mailers or some of the Postal Service's biggest customers, this is a price in the, the millions that they're going to have to take a hit on. And they have seen this coming for a while. The Postal Service has made notice about this price increase looming since March. And so from some of the mailers that I spoke to, they said that they have had this heads up uh, that this was in the works. And so as a result, they've taken steps to pull out mailings ahead of time. And for big commercial mailers, they've done things like entice customers to switch to online bill paying as opposed to sending that snail mail notice in the mail.
0: And that's first class. What about periodical rates and packaging? Do they have plans there also?
1: There is a uh, built-in subscription base for periodicals and things of that nature. And you know they are concerned about the hit that they're going to take there. This is all part of this 10-year USPS reform plan. And in that plan, the Postal Service is trying to get ahead of a projected decline in mail volume overall. That's first-class mail, that's periodicals, that's everything. And again, some of the mailers here were saying, well, if you're going to raise these rates, that's just a self-fulfilling prophecy that these big mailers, by virtue of that price increase, will have to send fewer items in the mail. They worry about a a death spiral or, you know, a negative feedback loop or any of those metaphors there.
0: Yes, they might turn to junk telephone calls if they can't mail you and then think of what would happen in the world. All right. And uh, while we have you, Jory, the leadership at the Postal Service has been in flux, let's say. What's going on there in the latest?
1: Yeah, it's a dynamic situation there. The Senate last Friday voted to confirm Anton Hajar. He's the Former General Counsel of the American Postal Workers Union. He is the third and final pick from President Joe Biden to serve on the USPS Board of Governors. And what's big here is that this is the first fully staffed USPS Board of Governors since 2010. They have had a quorum since 2019, but they've still always had some vacancies here or there. And so they are going to have a big say in this reform plan going forward. Now, I've heard some talk before this vote that uh, Hajar was going to be the hardest sell based just solely on the fact that he was the biggest critic of the three nominees about this reform plan. But as luck would have it, if you have a vote on a Friday before a holiday weekend and Congress is itching to leave, uh, they put up to a voice vote and there wasn't even a a roll call vote on that nomination. So smooth sailing for
0: him. But the 10-year reform plan, that is a creature that predates Louis DeJoy, right? That was put in place by the former Postmaster General in that team. And that seems to have a life of its own at this point.
1: Components of that plan have already moved forward, of course. And, you know, in my interview with Postmaster General Louis DeJoy earlier this year, I I posed this question to him. You know, what kind of input do you expect from new members of the board? And he said, you know, he welcomes input, of course, from all the members of the board. Uh, And he said that the Postal Service is best served by a full board. But he says, you know, there's a lot of common sense ideas in this, that they are not new ideas. They've been around for years and years, and he doesn't expect a lot of dissent from sure. members on that plan.
0: Like Henry Ford II said about boards, wine them, dine them, and then do something I can't say on family radio. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his latest stories at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama Administration. And he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me.
3: And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation.
2: Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style?
3: uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward.
2: <laughs> Perfect.
3: that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead, and there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide. In terms of race in america is and but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh to help close that divide so there have been so many defining moments uh, uh in my career i i will tell you even uh after the murder of george floyd and my role at the u.s Cha- chamber of commerce uh to galvanize the business community uh inspired by that tragedy
2: It's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them?
3: You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So that the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges. It's seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute I think is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King.
2: Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background in federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. um, What comes to mind there?
3: Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career. Not just for the title and the the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk no matter rain, sleet, or snow,
2: And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. But
3: well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
2: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Whether in person or remote, open communication with your doctor is key to managing any condition, including heart failure.
0: How have you been feeling? Um, I'm okay.
2: Both are great options to continue having open conversations with your doctor about how you’re feeling.
3: I've had less energy.
2: And when you speak openly with your doctor, they’re better equipped to help. Visit heartfailuretalks.com to learn more.
1: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live By Live Plus, and you'll get
3: unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.